everyone, and welcome to the Friday, July 21st, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we revisit the Family Leader Summit. Donald Trump returns to Iowa, and the new abortion restrictions in Iowa are put on pause. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is with us. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. A happy Barbenheimer Day to all who celebrate, Aaron. <laughs> Woohoo! And I, my whole family will be celebrating. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman with us. Hello, Todd. Hello. All right. First up, let's go back to a week ago and the Family Leader Summit, which was uh, held a week ago Friday. And uh, loyal listeners know that we uh, recorded a day early last week uh, so uh, some of us could cover that Family Leader Summit. Six of the top Republican candidates for president were there and interviewed by Tucker Carlson in front of just shy of 2,000 Christian conservatives. The one notable absence among that field being former President Donald Trump. And during the event, Governor Kim Reynolds signed into law State House Republicans' latest legislative attempt to restrict abortions in the state. More on that later. All right, Todd, uh, get us started here. You were following the summit from a distance, uh, which is maybe the, the best uh, for all parties involved there. Uh, <laughs> were there were there any moments uh, from the day that stood out to you? And, and do you think any candidates helped or hurt their campaign cause uh, during the event well i i watched the i watched it on a blaze tv which is uh i think that's kind of glenn beck's glenn beck's yep yeah and so a lot of what you saw you, you saw the question and answers but then there was a lot of sort of folks like glenn beck and some other commentators steve dace was there and they were basically critiquing the candidates and uh, they were particularly hard on Asa Hutchinson because of the whole, you know, he read a, a bill prohibiting transgender girls from participating in sports because he didn't believe it was a problem. And so there was, he got some questions that were pretty hard edged and they were not, they were not uh, pleased with his responses. And I, I don't think Asa Hutchinson's their cup of tea anyway. So that's not really all that surprising. Um, they were also pretty critical of, of of Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, which I was surprised by. They just That's they didn't they, yeah they, yeah they didn't think he did well answering the questions. He he just you know what it came down to is anything that any of these candidates said that wasn't just sort of you know evangelical Christian conservatism was sort of panned. Uh, but it was interesting. It was interesting to watch. It was interesting to hear the commentary. I mean, that's kind of you're looking at, you know, you're listening to sort of these opinion leaders on the on the far right of the Republican Party. And they didn't seem terribly enamored with any of them, frankly. So maybe they're maybe they're maybe Trump would have been more their more their taste. But yeah, yeah I could say it sounds like the one guy who was missing is the one that they were wanting to hear. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, the, the governor announced that she's going to do uh, these fair side chats with presidential candidates during the state fair. Uh, I think I don't expect that to be the questioning there to be as tough as some of the questions that Tucker Carlson aimed at those folks. He, he, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan, but he, he did grill them. So 
Yeah, I had the same exact reaction. Um, difficult for me um, as a journalist to pay a journalistic compliment to Tucker Carlson, but he did it. And 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 to your point about Asa Hutchinson, um, I'm I'm not surprised that that moment stand, stood out in the room too. Even before he got to the answers, there at, at, when it became clear that Tucker was sort of pressing Asa Hutchinson on this line of questioning. At one point, he said, "I hope." Asa had said, I hope we're going to move on to other topics. And the crowd like murmured in a very audible way, like, no, dude, we want to hear you talk about this. Well, well, credit to Asa for showing up and taking it. I mean, you know, a lot of candidates in his position might have just said, yeah, let's let's not go to the family leader summit because I'm not going to find much support there. But yeah. The Tim Scott one surprises me just because he yeah. seems like the kind of candidate that would that crowd. Well, I mean, and look, you're talking about the people you heard from on, you know, Glenn Beck's channel or whatever versus the people in the room. But I mean, still, I'm just kind of surprised to hear them come down hard. The, the only criticism I did hear of Tim Scott in the room was um, so I heard someone say they felt he was too uh, campaigny for lack yeah, of a better word. Yeah. Like he wasn't answering the questions he was kind of ignoring them and then walking out and doing yep. his and i think that was the criticism that i heard also uh you know he's a candidate that seems like he's got some upside he's you know sort of more optimistic has a you know a, a more sort of you know reagan-esque morning in america type the happy type warrior part. the happy well, warrior exactly yeah. so but you know i don't know i and that's the opposite of DeSantis, who seems like the the angry no personality warrior with no sense of humor. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know which way they'll go with, with that. But the, and then you got Donald, who's got his solid 35%. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you on Tim Sky. It'll be interesting. Everywhere you go at these events, his name always comes up as someone that uh, Republicans, Iowa Republicans like, but you don't really see it in the polling yet. So um, I'm yeah. starting to have flashbacks to... Um, Oh gosh, give me five seconds. Um, Martin O'Malley. Um, and I mean, it was different in that primary because, you know, he was up against, I guess, similar in a way, he was up against bigger name candidates, but there wasn't any concern in that primary about the top tier candidates coming back to the field like there is in this one and in, in, in where there's this whole what may or may not happen with Trump. But 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 I say that in the in in that um, Martin O'Malley, the Democratic uh, governor of Maryland, who ran in the 2016 cycle. Um, every time I went to an event, Iowa Democrats said, "I really like this guy. I really like him." Um, and, and he continued to pull at two percent throughout the uh, whole thing. So I'm starting to get Martin O'Malley vibes with Tim Scott. We'll see if he's got a, a brighter future ahead of him in, the, yeah. in this primary. Given the, I mean, just the field and, and how it's setting up, and this is very unscientific, of course, but my sense is that Tim Scott is kind of universally a, like a third or fourth choice. Like everybody likes him, but they like other people better. And so he's not going to, you know, get those numbers in the polls, but everybody's sympathetic, I, I would say. Yeah, those not, are everybody, the, uh, not everybody, those are, of course. Those are the makings of a, a VP uh, choice for somebody right. then. Yeah. The guy yeah. that everybody says is like their second or third favorite uh, candidate yeah yeah there's every cycle there's in both parties there's always that candidate and you know on rare occasions they almost climb i mean i you know i think howard dean was kind of a candidate like that that you know at first people are like well you know governor of vermont he's kind of radical but then he kind of 
wore on people and they liked him, but then in the end they're like, no, let's play it safe and <laughs> pick John Kerry. <laughs> so, uh, and you look how that worked out. <laughs> Go ahead. If you like, if you like the candidate, vote for him, I say, but you know. All right. And I'll tell you what else stood out to me uh, was what came just after the summit. And, and Tom was still here for this too, um, which was when uh, Tucker Carlson joined Glenn back on stage to record what I believe was a podcast episode. I, I'm not entirely sure. And I'm, if it was, I'm not sure whose, but what I yeah. am sure of. Oh, it was? Okay. So yeah, Glenn Beck was interviewing Tucker Carlson for Beck's podcast. Okay. Well, what, what I do know for sure is the title of that podcast episode was not We Think Highly of the Media. Because <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I learned some things about myself uh, during the taping of that uh, pod ep podcast episode that I, I had no idea uh, what a right bastard I am. Uh, uh, it, it was it was it was an educational experience. Yeah, I was um, I was uh, interested to uh, hear Glenn Beck make uh, comparisons uh, between Tucker Carlson and Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, calling and calling Tucker Carlson a hero. Well, that's, it, yeah, I can I can totally see that. I can be your second source. Well, source and confirm that. No, I, I mean I assume it's a podcast episode. It's probably out there somewhere. You can hear it for yourself. But that definitely happened. That definitely happened too. Ooh, so, anyways, uh, one person not at the family leader event, as we noted, was former President Donald Trump. But he did return to Iowa a few days later. On Tuesday in downtown Cedar Rapids, Trump recorded an appearance on Fox News with Sean Hannity. Then he spoke to a local Republican group. And the trip back to Iowa apparently did nothing to soften Trump's frustration with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds for her not endorsing him uh, in the caucuses, nor did it change his view that he deserves credit for her 2018 election. On a conservative radio program on WHO, pardon me, WHOAM radio in Des Moines on Tuesday, Trump said, and I quote, I helped her get elected. I would say that without me, she would not be governor. I take more credit for the fact that I got her elected. So that story made it to week two, which is just fantastic. Um, Tom, you covered Trump in Cedar Rapids. Uh, give us some highlights. What stood out to you for, from that day, Tuesday? Uh, yeah, um, I guess the biggest thing that um, stood out to me um, was the the number of uh, Trump supporters who um, were, were were not happy with uh, his comments about Governor Reynolds and his criticisms uh, of her neutrality in the caucuses, which again is a standard thing for governors of this state. You know, governors from both parties have done that. They want to um, stay neutral ahead of the caucuses because um, you know they don't want to look like they're putting their thumbs on the scales and, they're, and, and, and precluding any candidate from coming to Iowa and participating and, and, and talking to, to voters. Um, and uh, I, I thought uh, Governor Reynolds, you know, had um, a, a good response to that criticism um, when she was um, talking to um, uh, reporters, media um, earlier this week. Um, but yeah, um, and, and uh, so, um, you know, it was it was it was interesting their their, their response to that. Um, in fact, there was um, one uh, uh, Trump supporter from from Cedar Rapids um, 
excuse me, I, well, I take it back, I guess, from, from the Eastern Iowa area, um, I guess not necessarily from, from Cedar Rapids, um, but, you know, was talking about how, you know, I like Trump, I, I, I support him, but at times I wish he would just shut up. Um, wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, right. Um, and, and yeah, so that definitely stood out to me. Um, and, and, you know, look, it, 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 it tells a, a, a story, you know, Trump um, won Iowa by eight percentage points um, in his last election um, compared to Governor Reynolds, who, you know, won by what, 17, 18 percentage points, um, a, a landslide, you know, so, so you've got uh, an extremely popular two-term governor um, who has been able to, you know, push forward large reforms, you know, has been able to um, get her conservative agenda accomplished in the Iowa legislature, um, you know, really without a lot of, 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 of pushback, right, from uh, state house Republicans um, who control both chambers. Um, and so, so yeah, so you definitely saw um, some of the, 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 the backlash, the blowback um, from that. Um, I guess, you know, other than that, um, I guess the other thing that, that stood out to me, um, and it, it seems like this may not have been something that was, that, that the Trump campaign was able to control because it was a Fox News event, um, but it was the crowd size at uh, the town hall in Cedar Rapids. Um, they had it at um, the Alliant Energy Powerhouse Arena downtown, which I believe can hold about 9,000 people. Um, they, um, they, they didn't fill the upper section. Um, people were in the lower section, but just from the photos that have been shared um, on social media, um, you know, it looks like there were a lot of empty seats. Um, and uh, uh, the um, Lynn County GOP chairman, um, Bernie Hayes, um, when he was um, introducing uh, Trump um, ahead of his visit, stopped to the monthly meeting of the Lynn County um, Republican Party, um, you know, talked about, I guess, that there were um, issues um, with people being able to get into um, the events um, who um, had tickets. Um, I don't know, apparently there, there was there was some issue, but um, that was just an, another thing that, that, that stood out to me. It didn't look like, um, you know, the crowd size of, you know, a normal, typical Trump rally, you know, that, that, that we're used to seeing, you know, it wasn't the huge, um, the huge crowd. Um, that said, you know, people squeezed and crammed into um, the Elks Lodge to see him at that Lynn County um, GOP meeting and, you know, very enthusiastic, very excited to see um, the, the, the former president. Um, and, you know, what, what we heard from, from, from him, I guess, um, wasn't all that surprising. You know, it, it's, it's what you expected. You know, he, he continued to, um, you know, decry the federal investigations um, into him, um, you know, and, and his supporters are steadfastly behind him, you know, calling um, the most recent news about him being the target of a DOJ investigation into Everest to overturn the 2020 election as um, uh, a witch hunt or, or, or a scam, um, you know, feeling that it's politically motivated. And, you know, Trump said the same thing. And 
um, went after um, the, the 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 federal prosecutor, the special um, counsel, looking into it, um, calling him deranged, and saying that all these legal um, investigations and probes into him are are, are a disgrace. And um, yeah, I mean the, the the rest of it was kind of you know the 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 typical attacks and talking points that you know, we're familiar hearing from from the president going after Joe Biden and his immigration policies and unwinding um, the policies that um, Trump put in place when he was um, in, in office and, you know, talking about, um, you know, uh, the issue with, at, at the border. And, um, you know, he went after um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over his stance related to, to ethanol and, and, you know, Trump claiming that while he was in office, he was Great for the ethanol industry, which is um, debatable, um, and 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 talking about um, his um, going after um, China and 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 the whole trade war and um, the money that he ended up uh, um, approving for um, the subsidies to Iowa farmers to help recoup costs related to that, and saying that that was a boon to America's farmers. And anyway, on the yeah, ethanol the point, um, just have to point out again uh at the farmers for trump event a couple weeks ago he was talking about how and he's you know he said this before uh about how he wants to nix the carbon uh dioxide pipelines and you know we're going to take care of that that doesn't seem very aligned with the ethanol industry either so i'm curious how he's gonna square those two things but yeah that is interesting um although he didn't mention that um during uh during the cedar rapids stop um but um yeah, he 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 said that he saved ethanol, um, which you know again it was on its last legs here in Iowa, and then yeah. Donald Trump yeah. swooped yeah. in. Um, yeah. when I when I keep hearing um these stories um from like Republican Party people or Republican voters that they don't like that Trump is going after their own over and over again like this, I just can't help but think of. Trump in 2015 going after John McCain and basically calling him a loser because he was captured or uh, Ted Cruz's dad somehow being responsible for the JFK assassination. And people had all of these concerns about Trump going after, you know, these wanted people in their own party in that cycle. And still in the end, everyone came around to him and uh, voted for him in overwhelming numbers within the party. And it's I, I don't know how a similar thing doesn't happen again. No, I mean that's exactly right. I um I, I was there for the for the McCain one. Um that was a that was a Bob Vanderplatz event too actually. Um ironically here or coincidentally um yeah, up in Ames and uh every other candidate that was there that day said that was the end of the Trump campaign and he needs to drop out and and this thing's over and how dare he and um uh here we are. So yeah. Here, do we know do we know if he's coming to the fair at this point? We we don't know for sure one way or the other. I haven't heard, and, and I was going to say that to, to to spin this thing looking forward now, and and uh, I think it was Todd who first mentioned the fair side chats that Governor Reynolds is planning with each of the candidates. She said she's in, inviting them all, so that would include the former president, and she said she'd love to have them, so that would obviously be fascinating <laughs> conversation. Uh, but yeah, we have no whether he does that or or just does the fair his own way which is what he's done in the past he, he didn't he didn't like in 2015 he came to the fair but he didn't do the soapbox he did the helicopter helicopter and that was that. when he that was when he said i'm batman he told a kid i'm batman yeah 
let let kids have rides on his helicopter. Yeah. So I don't know. So maybe he'll do that instead. Maybe he will do uh, the fair side chat. I, I highly doubt he'll do the soapbox. Um, uh, yeah, we don't. Or or maybe he won't come at all. We'll see. Yeah. Do we know if uh, anybody's going to do the soapbox? The the fair side chat seems to be a attempt to usurp yeah, it in some over- ways. Yeah, we we uh, the register has not published a schedule yet, um, uh, so we'll see. I, I I haven't heard that it's not happening, so I assume that it is. But um, uh, yeah, that's obviously something we'll be so help, watching for. So help me God, that Colonel Counter better stay in place. They better not touch. I want to know who's up and who is down, uh, based only by Colonels of Corn. You've heard it, WHO TV. If anyone is listening, Jared has expectations. Don't touch that. <laughs> oh, fantastic! All right, let's uh, make a couple more quick stops here on the caucus campaign trail. Sarah, you covered uh, speaking of everybody's uh, favorite second or third choice, uh, South Carolina U.S. Senator Tim Scott was in the Quad Cities this past week. Uh, so, give us your impression of him, and 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 at that event, did the, did you see any indication either? Uh, from the senator himself or from the crowd that was there that he could be a candidate who could uh, eventually make his way to the front of the not Trump lane? Yeah. So the one thing that I really, um, uh, that really stood out to me about Tim Scott is he has a very easy interaction, easy time interacting with his audience. He was, he was making jokes. He made a lot of time for questions and answers compared to his like initial speech and biography. And I'm also surprised about the, um, you know, he got a lot of flack at the family leader event because a lot of, he spent a lot of time talking and this was, this event was right after it. Like he came from the family leader event to Davenport. He spent, a lot of time talking about his faith and people asked him, there's one person in particular who asked him like how, uh, like his, about his faith journey. And when he, um, like when he came, you know, to recognize Jesus Christ. And so he, he talked about that as a very foundational part of his life. And so it's interesting to me. I mean, obviously like, you know, somebody like Donald Trump is not a, a big guy in the Christian conservative like he's he's not very religious necessarily himself. Um, so so anyway, so that's that's interesting to me. And talking with voters there, um, potential caucus goers, nobody there was really like, yes, I'm caucusing for Tim Scott. Um, there were a lot of people who said, you know, this is one of my first times uh, uh, seeing a candidate this cycle. It's still really early, but they were looking for somebody who had a more unifying message or. Um, were less divisive. And one person in particular I talked with, he really, he, he was a Marco Rubio supporter in 2016, um, but eventually voted for the former president in 2020 when he became the nominee. But um, he said in particular, he didn't really like that Trump had uh, gone after Kim Reynolds. He thought that was really in poor taste. And I didn't even bring it up. He brought it up with me. So, um, so yeah, so we'll see. I mean, he brought out probably 100 close to 100 people. And um, I really thought that what stood out to me was just his his interactions with the crowd and ability to kind of rip off what people were saying and make jokes and answer people's questions. So um, more so than other candidates I've seen. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that Iowans like, right, in, in these caucus seasons is someone who can be approachable and conversational and, and uh, they kind of expect that interaction. Of course, like, again, as I say that, and then they go out and super rally candidate Donald Trump 
um, wins. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, thanks, there, uh, Jared. Uh, you also spoke with a, a candidate in the uh, second tier of polling, if you would. Uh, feeling the momentum. Are you having uh, covered the North Dakota governor? Um, yeah. So, uh, so Doug Burgum, the uh, the gift card candidate, which I'll uh, get to in a second, um, was in the area on Wednesday um, to speak at a weld, uh, welding company in uh, Salix, which is the exact same uh, business DeSantis spoke at last month. So that is a popular uh, machine shop with uh, presidential candidates. Um, and during the day, uh, he came by the journal offices to chat with me for about half an hour um, on a wide array of topics. Um, he's kind of tried to frame himself as one of the more uh, moderate candidates in the GOP field and as a guy who wants to focus on kitchen table issues, which he literally used that phrase at least once um, while talking with me. And so to that end, he talked about American energy production and how the U.S. needs to have an all of the above approach and uh, carbon capture pipelines play a role in that. Um, and he um, castigated the Biden administration for what he saw as celebrating that inflation is 5% instead of 10% and talked about how 5% inflation still hurts workers. Um, and he shared with me that his kids who are in their 20s um, have fears about World War III breaking out and how unstable the world feels right now. And so those are the sort of the same three um, broad topics that even his campaign website really dives into. If you go on there, there's not a lot of talk about anything else other than national security, energy, and um, the economy. Um, and I kind of asked about that, about him not necessarily diving as much into the, the culture war uh, topics. Um, but later in the, the conversation, he did sort of start to shade into some of that stuff. He um, suggested that scientists aren't able to speak freely about climate change. And he talked about how cancel culture is a major consequence of um, science being politicized. Um, and he also, um, in passing, mentioned um, a dual system of justice in the US, which is similar to a phrase uh, Mike Pence is kind of used, but neither one of them really expand on that entirely, although it's sort of clear the dual system being one system of justice for Republicans and one for Democrats. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting that even one of the candidates who has sort of positioned himself more toward the center is still kind of feeling this need to at least touch on some of those other topics that a segment of the base is really concerned with. Yeah, Um that's a good point. And I was going to ask, is there, and I have to plead uh, ignorance on this, is there something, it's the energy policy in particular seems to be something that he really leans into and likes to talk about. Is there something in his background that, that is there a reason uh, well, for that? A, a big reason for that is that uh, North Dakota is huge in terms of ga uh, natural okay. gas and oil just, production. Yeah. And so he can point to how well the state has done in those okay. sectors in particular. Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, and, razor. And, and and with all of that, um, even though he is occasionally, um, you know, touching on some of these um, culture war type issues that are popular parts of the base, he's still not seeing a lot of support overall. Um, but he has gotten enough to cross the uh, 40 donor or 40,000 donor uh, threshold, um, which him offering uh, $20 visa gift cards for a donation to his campaign uh, may well have helped with. Um, and now, he's at 
Sorry, I was just going to say now he needs to offer those cards to, uh, for the next time a person picks up the phone for a polar. <laughs> well, and well, I was going to I was going to say, yeah, he's at uh, 6% in a recent uh New Hampshire poll, which is actually even better than Mike Pence is doing, at least in New Hampshire right now. So that's one small thing for him to build on. And was that was that a qualifying poll? Does that count towards because like the the RNC has requirements that a poll has to you know have a certain sample size, et cetera, et cetera. That, do we know if that one qualified? I from what I, I read it in Politico that it does. Um, okay. Okay. Yesterday. So there you go. I don't know all the rules, but. He's on his way. Bergamentum is is in effect. It's real. Watch out for it. It'll roll you right over. All right. Uh, We finish up this week. uh, Let's get off the campaign trail and and, end the policy here. Um, The ongoing and biggest story in Iowa right now, which is the latest attempt by state house Republicans to restrict abortions in the state. At said family leader summit last Friday, as you said, Governor Reynolds signed into law the so-called fetal heartbeat bill version 2.0 just across the town just across town that same afternoon a district court judge considered a request by opponents of the law to halt its enforcement and on monday the judge the judge did just that so in a very unusual sequence for roughly 72 hours from friday afternoon through monday afternoon abortion was illegal in iowa once a fetal heartbeat and the law includes a definition of that that we won't go into here uh check out our reporting for that, once a fetal heartbeat could be detected. But once the judge's decision was reached on Monday, enforcement of the law was blocked. And so now we're back to abortion being legal in Iowa until the 20th week of pregnancy for now, while the courts consider all this. Uh, One of the specific uh, and interesting aspects of the judge's ruling was his suggestion that the state medicine board should proceed with writing rules for the law's enforcement, just in case uh, the courts ultimately decide to allow that law to go into effect, then those rules would be ready in that moment. Um, that was interesting. I, I don't recall anything similar to that. I don't know how often that happens. Uh, Caleb, you wrote a little bit about that this week. Tell us more. Yeah, and, and it, it is um, very unusual. The the states, I spoke to the state's administrative code editor who has been doing this for something close to 10 years, I think. Um, you know, so he's the guy who is in charge of all the administrative code. And so he knows what's going on. He said he's never seen anything like this. So it's it's a, a new territory, I think. There you go. Um, but those rules will outline, uh, the rules that the board will write will outline exactly what the parameters um, of this abortion ban are, what procedures the doctors need to follow, and um, you know, crucially, what the penalty for doctors who break the law will be. So um, the Board of Medicine will begin writing those, as, as you said, Aaron, um, but they won't begin the process until at least September. Um, that's their next board meeting. And um, it's it's likely, obviously, this this court battle will go on for quite a long time. So not not necessarily a rush to, to get that done. But um, the rulemaking process is complicated and relatively boring, but um, I will I'll explain it briefly. The board will develop a draft of the rules. Um, it'll go before the legislature's administrative rules review committee. Um, they'll vote to approve or deny that. And they're looking at, um, you know, specifically how well the rules uh, match the legislative intent and the language of the law. So as uh, the board's chair, Megan Jones, told me, you know, it's not a place to relitigate the the, the bill, um, to debate the bill again. It's just, you know, very um, technically, how does how do these rules fit the law? Um, there's opportunity for the public and experts to comment on that during that process. Um, the board can make changes based on the feedback, and then they'll make the 
rules official and they'll come before the committee one more time the committee votes to approve them um they'll go into effect within uh a month or so um one open question about this process is how the board can institute these rules while the law is still blocked um because following the regular process once the rules are in iowa's administrative code they are enforceable um but if these rules were in iowa's administrative code but the law wasn't in effect again the people who i talked to didn't really know how that would be approached. Um, so perhaps they'll delay the effectiveness. Perhaps there'll be language in the rules that say, you know, these will take effect when this code takes effect. Um, but we don't really know. Uh, and then as far as what the penalties for doctors, you know, what what they could be, um, I, I didn't get any information from the department that that um, oversees the board as far as what they're going to be considering. But, you know, existing IO code says the board could put um, uh revoke or spend a physician's license or any practitioner's license and they can they can impose fines of up to ten thousand dollars that's kind of uh within their purview and uh the, the law also says that there's uh you know it doesn't construe uh, it should not be construed to impose penalties civil or criminal on a woman who receives an abortion and so the the law is kind of uh restricted to civil penalties for physicians who you know perform the procedure outside of the law yeah yeah, it's, it's interesting, um, and it'll be one of those rare times where there'll be a, a actual and, um, interest in, <laughs> you know, the board's rulemaking process, and then when it gets to it, the administrative rules committee, um, uh, both of which I have covered, but but on very rare occasions. Um, uh, the Board of Medicine, I guess, a little more often because they obviously deal with interesting topics from time to time, but administrative rules committee is rarely, and that's by design, right? Like, as as representative jones noted as you described there that's not a that's not the debate part of the process that's that's like it's kind of a bookkeeping part of the process and and it's by design not supposed to be uh you know uh, contentious and, and political in fact it's, it's it's the the one board that's uh or committee that's politically balanced they're, they're, regardless of who's in a the majority there's equal numbers of republicans and democrats on that and the reason for that is to so even if there's a split vote to approve a rule, it goes into effect. It it has to be voted down by a majority in order to not be implemented. Um, uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch that process uh, play out. And 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 you um, did a good job of noting all the reasons why there, Caleb. Is it um, possible that one of the penalties would be like a doctor losing their license? Yeah. Their medical license? Yeah. That, that's that's definitely you know within the. Um, the options and i didn't look too deeply into kind of like what what the penalties for violating other you know specific penalties for violating, violating other laws that are already on the books are um it seems like a lot of times it's you know the the rules for violating various you know various specific things are written on a spectrum so for each case the board of medicine can you know hold a hearing decide what you know they, they have discretion over revoking the license suspending the license etc um that could be the case in this one, it, you know, they could make it more vague so the board can decide per instance, but I, they, you know, we don't know at this point, but yes, revoking a license is, is definitely on the table. And is there any language um, that speaks to someone like seeking um, abortion medications like out of state? Was there anything in the the, the law at all addressing that? There wasn't. Um, Aaron and Tom, help me out here if, if you know. Well, any yeah. So that came up that it's not specified in the law. So then 
the presumption is from the folks that I talk to, um, the, the experts and advocates in the field there, then the presumption is that it, that's also covered because it is an abortion. There's nothing that specifies in the law only a certain kind of abortion. So a, a, a medicine abortion is an abortion, and, and thus it's, it is covered by the law and but, would be banned. But if somebody, if somebody oh, receives um, it out of state? Yeah, um, yeah, out, out of state. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, so in that case, uh, again, my understanding of it from, from talking to folks is that because of the way the bill's set up, it doesn't punish the mother regardless of of where it happens um and so in that case iowa law would only uh, apply to iowa so a physician from minnesota cannot be punished under iowa law um so and that's how i understood it anyway so in, in in that case there would be no punishment to hand down because iowa law doesn't apply to a minnesota physician and there are no penalties for the the pregnant person. Which obviously then all of this kind of um, stuff just makes it right for uh, some kind of federal uh, case uh, down the line to clarify that. Or an amendment that, you know, they could come back next year and say, you know, write an amendment to the law that that would say somehow that uh, you can't receive that service out of state either. Tom, it looked like you were going to say something. Did, Did we get it? Well, so um, you you got it mostly, um, but there there was question raised um, on um, uh, the press call with um, representatives from Planned Parenthood in the ACLU. This subject came up, and there seems to be question about whether or not it would be legal or permissible. For a, um, for example, a out-of-state provider in, say, Minnesota or Illinois, um, to mail abortion medications into Iowa, would that would that violate the law? And there doesn't seem to be um, a clear answer on that. And you know, we just recently saw, I think, in Nebraska. Um, and Jerry, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a case in Nebraska where a young, I believe, 19-year-old woman um, was 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 prosecuted and charged, and I think just recently sentenced maybe, um, for, um, for self-managing uh, her abortion with medications in Nebraska, um, which... Um, bans abortion, I believe, at, at, at 12 weeks, and she was somewhere around 30 weeks. Um, and I believe prosecutors argued that, um, you know, her getting medications mailed to her in a state that restricts abortions violated the state law. Yeah, and she was um, she was sentenced to, to 90 days in jail, actually. Yeah. And I don't know then if, like, somebody like Planned Parenthood probably wouldn't be able to like direct, you know, here's where you can get an abortion pill like mailed to you from another state. Like, would they be able to make those references? Um, again, Caleb and Tom, you were on some of these same calls that I was, and and this was talked about too. And if, as I remember, their answer was basically like, we're still in the process of working through all of that. Like, it, it didn't sound like they had a a good handle quite yet. I mean, this was, and these were literally in the immediate aftermath of the bill being signed um, the immediate days after. Um, but their answer at that point was, we're working through that. And it was guidance that they hope to be able to give 
uh, to people, but that they didn't necessarily have in that moment yet. Does that sound right to your recollection, Caleb and Tom? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And of course, you know, some of those things may be elucidated in the in the rules of the Board of Medicine. <laughs> right, uh, right. So. Right. And and that, yep, the, just all so much unknown until the rules are in place, too. That, that being the other thing that it, it makes it hard to answer those questions uh, right now while, while there are no rules. So obviously a, a complex story that uh, we'll be talking about for many, many weeks and months into the future and on future editions of On Iowa Politics. Uh, that's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And again, if you didn't, keep that stuff to yourself. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you've also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you will receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Natalie Brown will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For the whole team, Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our exquisite producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.